Well, hi, everyone. I want to thank you for joining us today. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I want to let you know that we are heartened by the, uh, the COVID numbers, the cases uh, decreasing uh, in L.A. County in the last couple of weeks. And so we have gotten to preparing uh, for opening the church, so we're excited about that. I don't have a hard date for you yet. But we're continuing to monitor the situation, and as soon as we have some information for you on uh, when we're going to open, we'll certainly let you know about that. And uh, I just want you to also know that whatever we decide to do, uh, our online services are here to stay. They are going to continue because we have found in the last year or so that many of you uh, have joined our church and watching, are watching our services from very far away distances. And we are so glad you're out there. We are so thankful for you. And we consider you part of our family. And uh, we don't know all of you and where you're at and where you're watching from. So if you don't mind dropping us a line and letting us know that you're out there, it would just encourage us greatly. Uh, we'd just like to know that you're part of our family. And you can just drop us a line. An email at hello at southbaycommunitychurch.com and, and all the pastors, will all get those emails and, and we'll read it and uh, we'll be encouraged by that. So let us know that you're watching and we'll keep you posted on our opening uh, as we get to open live, hopefully very, very soon. And in the meantime, I want to ask you to continue to pray uh, for all those who are sick right now. We, we are continuing to hear of people in our church uh, who have tested positive for COVID. There are a number still battling with this, and so I want to ask you to pray for their healing. It's very important that we lift them up, and also continue to pray for uh, the first responders. Uh, uh, there's so many uh, first responders. Some of them are beginning to experience uh, PTSD and other, uh, other maladies, so we want to lift them up, and, uh, and I think that's an important thing for us to do. Well, today... We're continuing in our series called Undefeated, and I'm really excited about the topic that uh, I want to speak to you about today. But before we do that, uh, I want to open up our time in a word of prayer, and let me just ask you also, grab a Bible, open up our South Bay Community Church app, and you can do the fill-in thing if you like to do that. All right, so let's pray first, and then we'll get started into today's message. So let's, let's pray together. Well, Heavenly Father, it is so good to, to be here today, to come together and uh, to worship you and to open up your word. And Father, we, we, are, we come here this morning and we're just, or this, this evening as well, and so encouraged, so heartened by the, the falling numbers. And Father, we pray that you would continue to have your hand upon all that's going on in our country, in our world today, and ask God that you would continue to bring those numbers uh, down, down, down. And uh, Father, we lift up all those, especially those in our church, uh, family members and friends who are, uh, who are battling COVID and perhaps even other illnesses. Uh, we've heard of other um, situations, God, that are just heartbreaking. And we ask, Father, for your divine intervention in each and every one of these lives. And we ask, God, that you would bring uh, healing to them. We ask, God, for your protection over other family members who might have had some kind of exposure. God, we pray that all of them would experience a complete and total healing. And Father, we continue to lift up the first responders, especially those in our church, uh, our family members, and ask God for your protection over them. We ask God that you would give them a steady hand and a strong heart and a, a compassionate one as well 
as they minister to those who are hurting and sick. We pray that you would give them wisdom and we ask that you would protect them and their families. Well, Father, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. We ask God for your continued leadership. Give us wisdom and guidance on all the things that we're going to be making decisions about. And Father, today, as we open up your word, as we continue in this series, I ask God that you would speak to us. Speak through me and uh, use your word, God, to stir in our hearts that we might be all that you want us to be. So thank you, Father. We commit our time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, years ago when I was a student at Pepperdine, I uh, was uh, a photographer for the school paper. So I'd go around with the camera and I'd take pictures and they were always in black and white. And, uh, and that's because I would take them with film and then I would go to the dark room and I would develop my own uh, film. And uh, here's a picture I came across the other day of two of my friends, really good friends, uh, that I took way back a long, long time ago. Now, this is Lindy on the left and Don on the right. I think we were all around 21 years old at the time, and we took classes together, and we studied together in the library, and we had a lot of fun together, and we were really good pals. Uh, even though Lindy and Don were very normal, down-to-earth young ladies, I recognized that they uh, had a certain something going for them that, that I didn't. Uh, for example, as I recall, they both lived in Beverly Hills. And because they lived in Beverly Hills, I imagine they lived in very big, large, beautiful houses, maybe even a mansion. Uh, and they very likely went to uh, the, the finest private schools that, that money could buy at the time. They certainly went to the best university on the West Coast. Uh, they probably didn't have to worry about uh, getting a part-time job to uh, pay for gasoline and books. They probably didn't have to worry about taking out a loan uh, to pay for their tuition. And after they graduated, uh, they probably didn't have to worry about getting a job or finding a job all because of who their dads were. Now, Lindy's dad, the one on the left, her father was a famous singer named Pat Boone. And I know all of you youngins are thinking, who's Pat Boone? Well, Pat Boone is a really popular singer back in the 50s and 60s, way before my time. And he, he sold about 45 million records. His entire family at one point cut an album, this one right here. And Don's father was a fellow named Gene Roddenberry, who was a producer and the creator of Star Trek. I mean, even today, when a new Star Trek movie comes out, Gene Roddenberry always gets the credit for having come up with Star Trek. He is Mr. Star Trek. And, and thus, Lindy and Don had resources and opportunities uh, available to them that most people didn't, including me. I mean, you could say that they had an edge, that they had a distinct advantage in life. Uh, you could say that they enjoyed privilege. And that's a word that we've heard a lot uh, about in the last year. Well, I submit to you, I submit to you that they enjoyed privilege not because of the color of their skin, but because of who their dads were. Now, likely you don't have a famous and rich dad. I certainly didn't. But I also believe it is possible for you and me to have an edge in life and to experience privilege because of who our father is, and that is 
Almighty God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. Now, there is a sense in which we are all children of God because God created everyone. We are all children of God uh, in a broad, sweeping, generic sense. But from a theological, biblical perspective, not everyone is a child of God. Not everyone is. According to the scriptures, there are only two classifications of people in the world today. There are only two categories of people, and the categories aren't black or white, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, lefties or righties, introverts or extroverts. Those are not the two categories. According to the Bible, the two categories of people in the world are those who are children of God and those who are children of the devil. Everyone is either a child of God or a child of the devil. Now, take a look at 1 John chapter 3. That's, we're going to be in 1 John a lot today. So turn there. It's the second book uh, from, the, from the end, from before the book of Revelation. Here's what the apostle John said about this. He said in, in 1 John 3.10, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. All right, so the implication of what the Apostle John said here is that there are only two classifications of people, the children of God and the children of the devil. Now, in the Gospel of John, which John also wrote, Jesus said this in John 8, starting in verse 42. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Jesus also said in this passage that there are only two categories of people. In verse 42, he said that the children of God love Jesus. And then in verse 44, he said that uh, it is the will of children, the children of the devil to do what their father, the devil, desires them to do. Now, I confess that someone who is a child of the devil, I mean, that's a pretty terrifying thought, an image of someone who's a child of the devil. But, but here's the thing. You don't have to believe in the devil to be a child of the devil and you don't have to be a Satanist or worship Satan to be a child of the devil. The only requirement for being a child of the, of the devil is that you're a sinner. Now, here's what 1 John 3, 8 says about that. It says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. All right, so whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. I mean, and, and that's a scary thought because we all sin. We all sin. There is no one of us who doesn't sin. And to sin means to fall short of God's glory. It means to fall short of God's standards or to miss the mark. And every one of us does. Now take a look at the rest of the verse, 1 John 3.8. The second part says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Right? So the good news here is that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And how did he do that? He did that by dying on a cross for our sins. 
and then by being raised from the dead. He died and was raised. Now, if Jesus died and he wasn't raised, then the works of the devil wouldn't have been completely wiped out and destroyed. Jesus had to die, and then he had to be raised for the works of Satan to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened 2,000 years ago. 2 Timothy 1 verse 10 says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So, Jesus Christ destroyed death is what it says. He destroyed death by dying and by being raised. And frankly, it doesn't get any better than that, that Jesus destroyed death. And it was his death and his resurrection that made it possible for you and me to become children of God and to move from one category to the next. And practically speaking, how do you become a child of God? Well, the next verse tells us, Galatians 3.26 says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. We become children of God through faith. Will you circle through faith? You can, you can become a child of God through faith. And I mean, this is, this is ridiculous. If you think about it, it's ridiculous. Who can become someone else's child through faith? I mean, no one can. I mean, I can have faith in Gene Roddenberry all day long, but that won't make me his son. And actually, I don't really care to be his son. I, I would much rather be Jeff Bezos' son or Elon Musk's son or Bill Gates' son. And I can believe in them all day long as well, but that won't make me their son. Yet, I, if I believe that Jesus Christ was God's son and that, that he died on a cross and was raised from the dead on my behalf, I can become a child of Almighty God. I mean, it is uncanny. It is uncanny. And you can, you can go from being a child of the devil to a child of God simply by believing in Jesus. This next verse, John 1.12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We underline that last phrase, phrase he gave the right to become children of God. God gave to those who believe in Jesus and who received him the right to become children of God. I mean, this is incredible. You see, not everyone is a child of God, but only those who have faith in Jesus. It all gets down to faith. So write this one down. God allows me to become his child through faith. And it begs the question, are you a child of God? Are you a child of God? And if not, would you like to be? What an invitation. Would you like to become a child of God? I can't imagine anyone saying, no, I don't want to be a child of God. That is the best thing you could ever do. And if you're not a child of God and you would like to, you just hang on, all right? Just wait till the end here. And, and in a moment, I'll, I'll take you through some steps on, on how you can become a child of God. And you can be a child of God today uh, by the end of this service. You know, I became a child of God when I was 21 years old. I mean, just a, a couple of months, maybe a couple of weeks, shortly before I became friends with Lindy and Don. And uh, I can't begin to tell you how much it changed my life as I began to learn about the kind of father that God was. I mean, before I came to believe in Jesus, uh, I, I believed in Buddha. I've told you about that. And I think I've shared with you that we had a small little altar in our house. And inside that altar was an image of Buddha. And as a young kid, I would place uh, offerings in front of it. And I would bow before this image. And I would say a few, chant a few words. And I had no idea what I was saying. Sometimes I would light a candle. 
And when I went to the Buddhist temple, I would bow dutifully before I walked in, and then I would offer incense in front of the altar. And everything that I did with regards to my Buddhist faith was perfunctory, and it was ritualistic. And then I put my faith in Jesus and became a child of God, and everything changed. Everything changed. And I realized almost immediately that there was nothing perfunctory or ritualistic about my Christian faith as I came to see how much God loved me. First, God loved me. Buddha, Buddha didn't love me, never said he loved me, but my Father in heaven loved me. And he said so. First John 3, verse 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. See what kind of love the Father has given to you that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You see, God loves you. See, Christianity, uh, Christianity uh, isn't a religion uh, that is based on a uh, rule book of do's and don'ts, but Christianity is a relationship in which God the Father loves you. Did you know that God loves you? And here's what else I learned about my father. I learned that even when I sinned, and even when I did things and thought things that offended my God, he forgave me. Like my own parents forgave me every time I messed up, which was a lot, all the time. And all throughout my life, God has forgiven me, continuously taken me back, continuously given me second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. I mean, he's, God has given me so many chances, I've lost count how many times he has given me another chance. You know, the Apostle John put it this way in 1 John 2.12. He said, I am writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Isn't that good? Your sins are forgiven for his namesake. You know, the first reason why Christ forgives us over and over and over again is for his namesake. It isn't for your sake. It is, he doesn't forgive you over and over and over again because he happens to like you. No, no, he, he, he does it. He forgives for his namesake. He, he, he forgives us because Jesus died for us. Because Jesus shed his blood for us. He, give, he forgives us for his namesake. And the second reason why he forgives us over and over and over again is because of, of his rich mercy. He, his, his, his mercy is rich. Ephesians 2.4, the apostle Paul said, but God being rich in mercy, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. God has an endless supply of mercy. And that's why he can forgive you over and over and over again every time you blow it, every time you think a bad thought, every time you do a bad deed. And not, not only that, God has, a, has an endless supply of, of power and might. Psalm 147 verse 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. God is, he's got so much power. He has an endless supply of power. And, because, and with that power, there isn't anything that God can do. That's our Father. God also has an endless supply of riches and glory. These next two verses, Ephesians 3, verse 8, Paul wrote, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach, was given to, preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. His, his riches are unsearchable. They're, they're, they're measureless. And then Ephesians 3.16 says that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. The riches of his glory, they're unlimited. 
They're matchless. They go on and on. So God is rich. God is so rich that he can supply all of your needs. He can take care of all of your needs. And that's just a, a glimpse into who our Father is. He is rich in mercy. He is rich in power. He is rich in might. He is rich in glory and so much more. God is a Father like no other. Third, I came to see in my newfound relationship with Jesus that I was acceptable to him. I was acceptable to him, which is another way of saying I was good enough to him. You know, in my lifetime, I've led a lot of, met a lot of people who didn't think, think that they were good enough. And, and the reason why they didn't think that they were good enough is usually because that's what their parents told them and they believed it. They didn't think they were good enough. And, and it's almost always because of their parents and, 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 and it led to all kinds, it usually leads to all kinds of insecurities. People not feeling good enough, not, not measuring up. And so they, they work harder and they try harder. And as a child of God, I came to the realization that I was good enough. You know, Ephesians 1 verse 6 in the New King James Version says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Will you underline that, those last four words there? He made us accepted in the beloved. You know, the great preacher Charles Spurgeon once asked, quote, are there grander words in any language than these four? Are there grander words in any language than these four? Accepted in the beloved. Amazing. The Greek word for accepted, karitoho, karitoho, which comes from the word charis, which, which means grace. It's grace. Karitoho means to honor with blessing or to be highly favored. An old Puritan preacher named Thomas Brooks read this verse and came to the conclusion that God made us his favorites, that we are God's favorites. You are God's favorite. Would you say that to yourself right now, wherever you're at? Would you just say, I am God's favorite? If you say that too loud, you might upset the person next to you, but, but they are God's favorite too. I am God's favorite. You are God's favorite in spite of all your flaws. You are God's favorite even though you are broken. You are God's favorite even though you are messy. You are God's favorite even if your spouse doesn't think so. Even if your, your boss doesn't think you're good enough. Even if your parents don't think you measure up, you are God's favorite. And so when you add all these things up, love and forgiveness and mercy and power and might and riches and glory, what you get is a picture of a father who is second to none. God is a father like no other. You can write that one down. He's a, a father like no other. Therefore, there's never a reason for us to go around feeling defeated because we have a father like no other. You know, when you have a father like him on your side, um, you can't help but feel that you have an edge, that God's privilege is with you. You know, I, I know I've shared this story with you before, but when I was 15 years old, I had a massive convulsion in the middle of the night, and I was uh, rushed to the hospital, caused me to miss an entire year of, of school. Actually, it was my first year in high school. I was in the hospital for 10 days as the doctors tried to figure out what was wrong with me. I had seizures 
after that convulsion almost on a daily basis for six months. It took me six months to get that. I took the doctor six months to get it under control. One of the stories I've never shared with you is that during those six months, um, my dad and my mom took turns um, watching over me um, in the middle of the night as I slept. Every night, one of them slept in my room with me just to keep an eye on me in case I had another seizure so that I wouldn't bite my tongue or so that I wouldn't roll off the bed. And then whenever we went uh, to the market or whenever we went uh, to a restaurant, they would always, one of them would always, usually both of them, but at least one of them would always stay by my side in case I had a seizure so that they could protect me, so that they could help me um, during that time. And that, uh, and their heart was to care for me and their heart was to provide for me. And, and that is the heart of a father and a mother. Well, that's also the heart of God, our Father. You know, in Isaiah 43, there's a beautiful passage that speaks of God's uh, special relationship with his people, the Jews. I want you to take a look at it, Isaiah chapter 43. This may be one of the most beautiful passages in all the Old Testament. And here's what it says, starting in verse 1. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you, and I have called you by name. You are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Savior. You know, speaking of the Jews, God said, I created you, I formed you, you're mine, you belong to me. In other words, the Jews were his children, just like you and I, we are his children. And just, uh, and then he gave them this wonderful promise in verse 2. I'm going to read it to you one more time, just verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, and they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Now, here's what I want you to notice about this verse. First, it says, shall not three times. You might want to circle, shall not three times. The water shall not overwhelm you. The fire shall not burn you. The flames shall not consume you. These are God's promises to you. And then I want you to notice the word when. You might want to circle the word when twice. When you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fires. The significance of the word when is that it assures us that there will be times when you will pass through the waters and the rivers. And there will be times when you pass through the fires and the flames. In other words, this verse isn't a promise that you won't ever encounter trials and tribulations in your life. You will. You will encounter trials and tribulations. There will be times of severe, extreme testing. There will be times of hardship, sometimes unimaginable adversity. In fact, at this very moment, some of you may be going through the biggest test of your life because maybe perhaps you are sick and you have suffered with 10 straight days of fever. Maybe you or a loved one 
has cancer. Maybe it's a child that's sick. Maybe you are overwhelmed with grief, having lost a family member, maybe two family members, maybe three family members, or maybe a a best friend. This week, I lost a first cousin in the most shocking and tragic way, and none of us can believe that she's gone. Maybe the pandemic has taken a toll on your marriage or on your finances. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe your anxiety levels are off the charts. Or you live in fear, in constant and daily fear from getting, uh, of getting the virus. God didn't promise us a problem-free life. But he did promise that when we go through them, you shall not be overwhelmed and you shall not, uh, it shall not burn us and it shall not consume us. Why make those promises? Because, it's because, it's because God is with us. God is with you. But so often when we're in the middle of the fire, when we're covered with water, we're overwhelmed with water, we miss it. We miss the fact that God is with us. You know, anytime someone asks me to pray for them, I don't pray I never pray that God will be with them because I know he already is. Why pray for something you know to be true? I always pray that they would sense and know that God is with him because he is. In Isaiah 41, 13, God said this, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, I am the one who helps you. I love this verse. I just love this verse. I love this verse, this picture of God holding our right hand. Notice that? God is holding our right hand. You know, on the morning of October the 1st, 2019, shortly before I was rolled into the operating room to remove a cancerous tumor on one of the lobes of my lung, I remember laying in the preparation room, laying on the gurney um, all by myself, and my eyes I closed my eyes and I extended my right hand and I thought of this verse. And as I extended my right hand, I asked God to hold my hand because I I knew that that's what he does. I asked him to hold my hand and even though I didn't feel flesh upon flesh, I knew that at that moment God grabbed my hand and I knew that he wouldn't let go even after my hand went limp because of the anesthesia. And I knew that he wouldn't let go because that's what God does for his children. He holds our hand and he never lets go. You can write that one out. God holds your hand and he doesn't let go. Now here's what I want you to do. I want all of you to close your eyes for just a second. Just a, just a minute. Now if you're listening to this while you're driving the car, don't close your eyes. Keep your eyes open. right? But if you're watching in, in your office or watching in the living room somewhere, I want all of you to close your eyes. All right. Now, I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe things are, are good for you. Maybe your life is blessed. But with your eyes closed, I want to ask you to just take a minute and thank God. Thank him for the blessings. Thank him that things are good. But then, if things are bad, if things are kind of rough for you right now, with your eyes closed, I want you to extend your right hand. As you extend your right hand, ask God to take your hand and to hold it. Ask him to take it and hold it. And ask him to help you with with whatever you need help with because that's what God does. Did you do that?
you can open your eyes. If you did that right now, God is holding your hand and he will never let it go. That's our father. Let me close with this. When 71-year-old Martha Cunningham found out that she was dying of cancer, went into hospice, she asked her pastor, Jim Jenkins, if he would come over and help her plan her funeral. And so he did. He went over to her house to help her plan her funeral. And after Martha told him what song she wanted sung and who she wanted to share a few words and what scripture she wanted read, when it seemed like it was all taken care of, she said to the pastor, she says, well, there's just one more thing. And he said, sure, what, what is it? And she said to him, she said, when they bury me, I would like for my Bible to be in my left hand and a fork to be in my right hand. And the pastor was kind of taken aback, like, you want a fork in your right hand? Why would you want a fork in your right hand? And then she said, well, I've been thinking about all the wonderful dinners that we've had at church, all the potlucks and all the special occasions we've had at church. And, and uh, one thing stands out. She says, when we've had some those really special dinners, you know, the, the ones that are catered in, she said, and the meal is finished and the server will come and take our plates, someone will always turn to me and whisper, keep your fork. You can keep your fork. And you know what that meant, Martha asked? It meant that that dessert was coming. And, 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 and she says, and I don't mean jello or just even a dish of ice cream, but I'm, I the good stuff, you know, like the tiramisu or tiramisu, however they pronounce it, or the, or the chocolate mousse or the cherries jubilee or the baked Alaska, the good stuff was coming. And when they told me I could keep my fork, I knew that the best was yet to come. And so she said, I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand so that at the end, when people come by my ca casket and they see me laying there, they'll look and they'll say, why does she have a fork in her right hand? And then, Pastor, you can tell them that I have a fork in my right hand because the best is yet to come. You know, that's so true for the child of God. The best is yet to come. You see, this life we're living today, this is not the best. And this is not the, in fact, this is pretty bad. Some would say it's pretty bad. It's not, it's not the best. This, it's not even close. You know, years ago, someone wrote a book called Your Best Life Now. This is not your best life now, and it never will be. But our best life is yet to come. A child of God's best life is yet to come. And when will it come? Well, here's your final verse. 1 John 3, verse 2. John said, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. Well, first of all, John said something very interesting. He said, he said and it has appeared as yet what we will be. Not, it has not appeared as yet what we will be. John said, first of all, there's a bit of a mystery. There's a bit of a mystery as to what we will be when Christ comes. And it's probably referring to our nature, perhaps our appearance, I mean, for example, we don't really know what age we will appear to be when we're in heaven. And we don't really know exactly what we will be like or look like when we get to heaven. There are a lot of things we don't know. But we do know this, that one day 
one day, perhaps very soon, Jesus will show up. Perhaps he'll show up in the sky at the rapture, or perhaps he will appear to you, and we will appear before him when he takes us home to be with him, when our heart beats for the last time, in other words, when we die. And when you see Jesus face to face for the very first time, we will see him as he is. We will see him as he is, which means we will see him in all of his radiance and all of his glory. And, and here's the best part. We will see him and we will be like him. We will be like him, which means we will be radiant. You will be radiant and you will be glorious in your brand new bodies. And this will be the beginning of your best life. You see, God has a glorious future for his children. He has a glorious future for his children, and that's your final point. You see, death is not the end of us. It is not the end of us, it is, and it is not even the worst thing that can happen to you. God might perhaps this year take some of you by the right hand and take you into his presence. You know, praise the Lord for that, that we have a glorious future in his presence. You see, the privileges of being a child of God are endless. They are endless, and it is why we are undefeated. Because in him, we have a father who is loving and merciful and powerful and mighty and rich and glorious. In him, we have a Father who will hold our right hand and never let go. In him, we have a Father who sent his one and only Son to die on a cross for our sins, and then he raised him from the dead that we might be children of God and not children of the devil. And in him, we have a Father who has planned out for us a glorious future. You see, as children of God, we have an edge. We have a distinct advantage. You could say we are privileged. You know, if you're not a child of God today, I told you I would tell you how you can do that. We learned that we become a child of God through faith. Right now, I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you would like to become a child of God, because you know that you're not. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And it is by faith that we become a child of God. And so this prayer is simply a way to express your faith. All right, and all you, can, all you need to do is pray this prayer. Dear God, I recognize and I confess that I am a sinner and that I have, I have lived my life separate and apart from you. And today, I, I acknowledge that you are God and that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to planet Earth to die on a cross for my sins. And then you raised him from the dead. Lord, I believe in Jesus. I want to express my faith to you through prayer. And I ask God that you would come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me daily of my sins and make me into the man or the woman or the boy or the girl that you want me to be. Lord, I believe in you and I want to be your child. 
I ask all these things and I pray these things in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. You're a child of God. And I I want to invite you, please let us know. Let us know in the chat box or send us an email at hello at South Bay Community Church so that we can help you to begin to take steps to grow in your faith so that you can become the child of God that God wants you to be. Let me pray one more time. Father, thank you for this inspiring word, God, that your Bible is so filled with that we can be children of God. And we thank you, God, for the privileges that you have given to us as your children. Father, help us to remember all these things today, all these verses today, when we go through the fire, when we go through the waters, that we have a Father like no other, that we have been graced with privilege, that we have an edge, that we have a distinct advantage because we have you and because we are your children. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, God, for all those who became children of God today. Lord, help them now to walk with you. Help us all to walk with you. And we love you, Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.